Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Faith Restructured. We are stoked about our guest today. Um, her name yeah. is Marie. And <laughs> I tried. I tried. Cole All right. Got, Mike got back at me today. Cole I mispronounced the name. Wrong name. Within yes. seven seconds. Seven um, and a half. So seconds. we did not start off on a good foot, but I think this is a really cool episode. The the interview went really well. Um, and yeah. you'll hear obviously about the specifics. We won't spoil anything, but I, I just think we just clicked so well in regards to like kind of like the heart behind this project, the book of belonging that Mari's working on. And it, it's a book specifically kind of tailored towards children. Um, it's like a, I, I don't know if we, she'd call it a children's Bible proper, but at least like a companion, if not an actual children's Bible, mm. um, but just a resource because there's such a lack in that. And I just mm. like her heart behind the whole project has been so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, we get a little personal. Mari tells a little bit of her story. And so we just wanted to, once again, we thank her in it, but just thank her for trusting us with with that story that she tells, with the grief she carries and now shares with, with uh, us and with this podcast community. And so we just trust that you'll shepherd that as well as as we tried to in the moment, but also a big thanks to her for doing that. Uh, this is one of the coolest I feel like we say this all the time, but they just are all unique. They're all awesome. Mari brings her own flavor to things and uh, just hearing about the work that she's doing and how she, how she takes it so very seriously and thoughtfully, um, I think is just incredible to, to see. Again, why we started this podcast to introduce you to voices of people who are doing the work on the other side of what we consider in mainstream media, pop culture, deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And so what can that faithfully look like on the other side? We think Mari does a really, really good job of that. Yeah. And it's not just, I mean, introducing you all to these voices, having an excuse to, you know, talk to them ourselves. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Literally that everyone complains about social media. I, I saw Mari's social media page shared through another social media page of something I followed on a whim three years <laughs> ago. And I was like, Hey, look, they posted a story and stumbled upon one of the coolest projects that I think I've ever seen. And I think you've heard us talk about this before, but Christian art, there's a lot of it, but not a lot of it's good. There's a lot of good Christian art with, or a lot of Christian art with good messages, but really bad art forms, right? There's mm -hmm. all kinds of Christian music on the radio not a lot of it's really great art. And then mm. there is few and far between where we think this is not just a great message, but it's beautiful art um, and not just literal art, but um, something we're producing in that way. So, um, yeah, we're going to just keep rambling, I guess. So uh, maybe yeah. we should just get Who? into <laughs> yeah, let's just get into the podcast. Yeah. Check it out after a brief word from this episode's sponsor. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Faith Restructured. We're here with another guest here on the podcast. Mariko Clark is with us. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm going to be that person and correct your oh, do pronunciation it. Do of it. my name. It's Marika. The accent's on the first syllable, but you guys can just call me Mari. Mari. I tell people rhymes with sorry. That works for me. So 
it's all right. We had somebody on the podcast earlier this season <laughs> that said, just call me Brie. And Mike uh, started with her full name and she was she was just giving it back to him. So it's all right. I, I get it now, too. It's OK. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Mari. Yeah, um, and we like to always just start these things with uh, a little bit about who you are, what you do. And the way we phrase it is if you sat down on an airplane with somebody and they asked you to share a little bit about yourself, what would you share with them? Okay. Yeah. So first of all, I would never talk to someone on an airplane. (laughs) Good. Me either. (laughs) I'm kind of an airplane hermit. So if I sit down next to someone, I have earbuds in whether I'm listening to something or not just trying to shut it down. My, I would rather sit in the bathroom than sit next to a chatty person on the airplane. But <laughs> for the sake of the hypothetical, um, I think I would say that I, I wear a lot of hats. I do a lot of things. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a podcaster, and I'm a writer, and I am a soon-to-be published author. So um, I guess that's what I would say. And then I would try to shut the conversation down. Yeah. How can we jump on the, the next topic or, or no topic at all as fast as possible? Exactly. <laughs> that's great. And so you mentioned a little bit uh, that you're soon to be a published author. What does that look like for you? So I've been working on this book called The Book of Belonging um, for the past year or so. And we did a, a massive Kickstarter campaign way back in October. Um, it's January as oh no, February as of this mm-hmm. recording. Um, and we raised, um, way more than we thought we would. There's this <laughs> amazing community response, um, to what we're trying to do. And then we started getting publishers interested. So we went from this, this big, um, self-publishing dream to now we're talking with, um, actually just today I had three meetings, um, talking with some publishers. So it looks like it's going to go in that direction, which is really exciting. But the book of belonging, um, the, I guess the most concise way to, to phrase it is that it's like, it's a progressive story Bible for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, in that we are elevating values like diversity and inclusion, um, contemplative practices like mindfulness, um, and, really just pushing our kids um, towards values like wonder as opposed to, um, you know, straight indoctrination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's an awesome. Cutting right to the core. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, would you share a little bit about like, cause it's not just you, right? Like you, you have a yeah. partner that's doing illustrations, I think from, yep. um, so, so to anyone listening, like, we're just meeting Mari today. Uh, and I encountered you through Instagram and this is like the okay. beauty of social media. Right. And mm-hmm. so I saw it reposted from someone I, yeah, from Bibliotheco. I got, you know, oh, my, yeah. a set of cool Bibles from years ago. And yeah. it was like, I didn't even know they posted online anymore. And I saw oh, yeah. them share this. I'm like, well, <laughs> let me check it out. Maybe it's volume two. Um, and it was just such a, a fascinating project. So I wonder if you could say a little bit about like, you've already given us the synopsis of kind of Mm -hmm. the overarching scope, but maybe like what the process of working on it has been like and what kind of what birthed the idea, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Those are great questions. So first of all, yes, you're correct. I'm working with someone else. I hired an illustrator first. She was just kind of going to be a hired gun for me. And she ended up becoming one of my closest friends and such a perfect creative partner for me. I actually, it's a story of like, 
shooting for the moon and landing on the stars kind of um mm-hmm. <laughs> i see behind you that you have a scott erickson print um at the time i was working on the idea for the book of belonging i was going through scott's honest advent book which is amazing and just really enjoying his perspective and i at the time was shopping for illustrators and just hadn't really clicked with anyone it was either someone who was amazing at art but was like what is faith mm-hmm. or it was someone <laughs> who you know was really 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 into a very specific denomination or like really wanted to to do this work in a specific way that just didn't super align with my values um but you know had incredible talent so i was trying to explain it to my husband i'm like if i'm going to do this and do it well i really need I need a partner. Like I need someone who's really on the same page with me ideologically and theologically, but also who is really good at what they do. You know, someone like Scott Erickson, he's like, (laughs) do it. (laughs) So I just reached out to Scott on a whim. I just had, you know, they say you just need 30 seconds of insane courage. So I had like 90 seconds of insane courage. I typed this email to Scott. Yeah, go for it. Who is they? Are you quoting a movie when you say that? The 30 seconds of, are you quoting We Bought a Zoo? Yeah, yes, I oh am. Oh my gosh, this just <laughs> makes me so happy. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. Keep going. I said it so like send it, an email. I definitely said that like it was like a ph- philosopher says Back that. In the no, day of Matt Plato. Damon says that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> From the critically I, acclaimed movie, we bought love a that movie truly, and that's awesome. All right, so it's you send a wonderful an email. Movie. Yes. So I send the email to Scott, and he he's just a such a wonderful guy. At the time, I didn't know him. Now we're friends, but um. He, I didn't expect him to write back, immediately wrote back, was super encouraging about my project, had a lot of good feedback and said, you know, I'm already working on a book right now. This isn't exactly my vibe, but I know someone you should reach out to, my friend, Rachel. He connected me to Rachel um, and the rest is history. She's been the perfect person for me to work with. So she's my partner. Um, You had asked about, you know, what sort of started the project. The the way we tell the story, um, my daughter, who is seven now, at the time when this happened, was five. Um, She's my oldest kid. And we were swimming in the pool one day, and she just out of nowhere goes, Mom, does God love boys more than girls? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have raised you better than this. I've raised you to be a feminist. Where is this coming from? Um, And she goes on to explain that, we, you know, we had this little story Bible that we would just read to her at night, read a story every night. she starts telling me, well, there's only two girl stories in my story Bible. So, you know, I just put two and two together. Um, so I'm like, well, that's not right. You're exaggerating. I immediately shut it down. And I go home. I start flipping through her little story Bible. And sure enough, there was only two stories that were, you know, featured a woman as the main character. And I mean, we all know that the Bible, maybe we don't all know this. The Bible is uh, male centric. There are not a ton of stories about women, um, but it's not, I wouldn't say that, um, two stories out of 30 is representative of, um, the, the stories that we have of available to us of women of faith. And some of the stories that are included in almost every story Bible you've got out there, they don't advance the narrative and they don't, um, they don't point to the gospel as explicitly as some of these female stories that are constantly overlooked. So once I started digging into that, I'm like, this is bizarre. And it's just one of those things that, you know, once I started tugging on that thread, um, you know, in starting to imagine, well, if I, if I had my druthers, what, what would I make for my kid? And it's like, well, you know, while I'm at it, I'd like to um, make a not white Jesus, you know, that's, Mm. that would be, 
historically accurate. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, while I'm at it, I wonder if we could, you know, kind of pare down on glorifying all the violence in all the stories, even though there is some. Um, and, you know, while I'm at it, I wonder if they've got any mindfulness practices out there for kids. Um, while I'm at it, maybe I could point my kids towards wonder instead of having this, you know, bow that we put on every story that makes each character into a hero that upholds this certain aspect of morality that we're hoping to encourage in our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I kind of, once that ball got rolling, finally, at one point I just threw up my hands. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just do this myself. I guess that's, I guess that's what we're saying now is that this is on me. Um, so that's like basically how the book of belonging was birthed was this, um, desire to, um, I mean, to quote someone again, you know, Gandhi says, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. I'm like, I guess I've got to be the children's book author that I want to see in the world. Yeah, um, because yeah. It's not out there. So that's, that's where the book of belonging came from. And that's awesome. And I love what you said though, earlier when you said, uh, it's a more progressive, uh, view of faith rather than just straight indoctrination. <laughs> and so for <laughs> unpacking that for the listeners out there, what, what exactly do you mean by that? Or, or at least what's, what's the direction that you're hoping to, to see that change happen? Um, I think that as parents, maybe this is a parent's thing. Maybe it's an adult thing. Um, we sort of fall into this pattern of we want to teach our kids. We want to raise them. Well, we want to instruct them. Um, and that certainly is important and valuable, but I think that especially when it comes to faith, it can sort of cross this line into, um, you know, handing them this package of like, this is what, this is what it's like to, to be with God. This is what it's like to be an image bearer. Um, and we can instruct to the point where, you know, we, we stamp out all the wonder and then we hand our kids this thing, they grow up and it, it, it doesn't contain the God that they end up meeting someday. You know, like we're all, Mm. we're all not all, (laughs) a lot of us, um, (laughs) now are experiencing deconstruction. You've got a whole podcast about it. Um, and some of us, um, that comes from this process of being handed this experience of faith or this understanding of God that was um, small enough and brittle enough that once we reached the real world and started encountering God in a way um, that challenged that, that then that understanding of God broke open, Um, Mm. which I see that as a positive that then, you know, my understanding of God was able to be more expansive, Mm. but it also involves a lot of pain um, and grief. So I think when I'm talking about ideology or not ideology about indoctrination, um, I think I'm talking about the lack of wonder that I think a lot of us experienced in our, in growing up Christian, um, that we were handed answers as opposed to being, um, having questions modeled for us, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. or having adults who said, actually, I don't know, not because I haven't studied it, but because actually nobody knows, like (laughs) nobody knows. And isn't that wonderful? And to model for our kids that like, that's actually not scary. You know, it sounds scary, but can you imagine a God that you could fit into your tiny little pea brain? Like, would you Mm. really want that? Would you want to worship that God with your life? Would you want to put your hope and your purpose in a God that you could fit into your 
tiny little human understanding to me, that's terrifying. And I think that if we can model that for our kids, then hopefully the idea is, um, kind of risking my career on it, that <laughs> then they grow up and they don't have to deconstruct quite as much as we do. They're not, you know, in right. therapy with spiritual abuse, um, you know, trying to work through how much of this was life-giving to me and how much of it was it stamping out my understanding of, of life in the divine. Yeah. And that's such a difficult thing, which like, I mean, I, I'm sure you can speak to as like a parent, like that tension of like, of course, there are certain things we teach children, right? Mm -hmm. and as a parent in particular, not just teachers in schools or churches, mm -hmm. but it's like, you want to teach them good values and you want to mm -hmm. teach them how the world works. But yep. when you, I mean, this is like documented throughout psychology, there are developmental levels, right? Mm -hmm. what, what they yeah. can process, complex thinking, abstract thought. Yeah. And when we get to theology, it's all abstract thought. And mm -hmm. like, when I think about like, um, just children's ministry in general, like, I, I don't want to touch it with like a 50 yard stick because how do you teach <laughs> like the story of Noah and the ark in yeah. a honest way to a child while also like, how do you do a coloring book page about it? But then mm -hmm. also talk about all the death and destruction occurring. Yep. And that's not to underplay the importance of that story, but yeah. to also take seriously that. And when yeah. children ask hard questions about that, just to brush it off and say, well, it's because God's good and you'll figure it out when you're older. Yeah. You get enough of when you're olders. And then when you're mm -hmm. older and people start asking questions, you go, how dare you ask a question? Now you're yeah. questioning faith. You're questioning yes. God. And exactly. so it's like this kind of bait and switch where we'll, we'll tell you later. I can't believe yeah. you're asking, you know, so <laughs> yeah. like this ebb and flow that yeah. uh, you didn't forget about that. Darn it. <laughs> I think if you're asking that question, how do you do that? I think I would say like, you just don't tell that story up until an age appropriate time. Like I'm not including Noah's Ark in the book of belonging because mm. I don't think that mm. there is a way for a kid, or I know that there's not a way because I've studied the developmental psychology of it, spiritual psychology that kids can wrap their brains around the nuances of understanding a story like that, that like, you know, with one breath, we're telling him that God is loving and there's nothing you could do to make God stop loving you except like when he right. wipes out the entire population of planet earth because and then we have to come up with a tidy explanation that fits into their black and white understanding and that's just we're setting themselves we're setting them up for this um dissonance yeah yeah that's really good i think there i think what you're doing though is like i do think you have your thumb on the pulse of where some parents are though because even i can remember we mike and i cut wood with one of our old professors and his uh his daughter goes to a church that like i just wouldn't have expected to hear like oh that's the church you go to and he's like yeah but they also just like aren't teaching all of the stuff that typically might happen in one of those churches and i was like well how does that work he's like I guess it's just a lot of like teaching on the side uh, alongside of the things that are happening in, you know, the kids programming or whatever, mm -hmm. um, where they're, they're kind of like correcting or, or providing an alternative uh, measure for that. So I think that's where a lot of families are is like, they want the community of the churches that really care about families and, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and care about uh, having a faith journey. It's just mm -hmm. like, you have to do all this work on the side to make sure it, it feels faithful and fruitful for something that doesn't look like the conservative evangelical fundamentalist kind of perspective. Yeah. And that's really challenging. One of the things, one of the groups that we've heard of through the Kickstarter that I, that I didn't foresee 
um, was a lot of people in children's ministry, children's pastors reaching out to us and saying like, are you guys going to do curriculum too? I'd love to use this at our church. And we're like, really us? Like, why aren't you using curriculum that's out there? And they're like, (laughs) heads up. It's not out there. Like Mm -hmm. most of the children's curriculum, like the vast majority of it is written and published by these super, super conservative, um, Mm -hmm. publishing houses which like, if you're in that vein, or if you're even sort of in the middle somewhere, like, sure, you can adapt it. And a lot of the um, children's pastors that we've spoken to say every, every week I spend hours taking, you know, this, this preset curriculum that's come my way and scribbling it out and, and changing it and adapting it. And my job is, you know, twice as hard as it should mm-hmm. be um, without a more progressive curriculum. And we've heard about a couple that they're like, you know what, this one's doing okay. But um, the, for the most part, we've heard that, yeah, it's just, when it comes to kids learning about God in a church setting, like we thought the book of belonging would be for parents who are doing the work at home, whether they're churched or not. Like I have plenty of friends who would consider themselves Christian, who are raising their kids to be Jesus followers who don't go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of assume that the book of belonging would, would be a bridge for that sort of thing. Um, but the more we hear from people, the more it's like, no, this is actually like, this is more of a systemic thing that um, churches don't have resources. So the disconnect between parents who have these values and who are asking for what they need and churches and kids ministers who share those values and are hoping to provide it literally don't have, don't have a way to get that across, which is heartbreaking. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, curriculum in general is just really difficult. I think I already told you that Cole and I are both youth pastors or mm-hmm. directors yeah. of youth ministry they, they kind of switch these titles around yeah you're not allowed to be called pastor sorry <laughs> we are but it doesn't count and, you know because it's not pastoring unless it's adults which oh, sure. speaks to the problem who cares about are. those dumb kids right yeah, right <laughs> and then we don't know why they leave and walk away you know. they're only the future <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But curriculum, I'm telling you, it's just for every age group. And even if you are within a theological tradition that is like really on board with the ideas, curriculums are just hard to make. And of course, there's no like one size fits all for every situation, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's just tough to figure out. So is this, is this a spoiler alert? Like, are you, are you guys taking that on as a future project (laughs) to adapt it or? I wish it was a spoiler alert. I looked into it because I'm like, hey, if this is the felt need and we can get out there and put this in more hands, then I would love to do that. So I, I met with a couple of people that I know who who have written curriculum in the past, um, and I got the numbers back. And it would take between one and six million dollars to make curriculum. So I said, yeah, no worries. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and pass on that. That's someone <laughs> that's else's a, Kickstarter. That's a bigger Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that even what the book of belonging represents, though, it enables people to have a resource, even if it's not a curriculum that they can utilize. Because yeah. it's funny that you said that, because the first thing I did when I saw the Instagram post is I sent it to Cole and I sent a group mm-hmm. message to my staff that all <laughs> have, the people that have social media was like, we need to get in on this immediately. <laughs> and so it's like, Thank I mean, you. I think that's the way that, it, yeah, I'm not just saying that because you're on this call either. I promise like that's just like you didn't just hang that picture up in the background of Scott. <laughs> yeah, all right. oh, oh, you know, Scott, Oh, okay. <laughs> which is cool. We did. Cole just said he saw a post of you with Scott and we, uh, we actually just interviewed him on Saturday. So that episode. Oh, no way. 
Yay! Yeah, it's yeah, great. That episode our dates out mixed up when people Thursday, are listening. Whatever, but... yeah. Oh, he's yeah. so great. He's wonderful. Scott, um, I just have to shout his praises any opportunity I have. He has, you know, there's people who are supportive, you know, in lip service to what we're doing. Um, and Scott, I would say any opportunity he has had to pull up a chair to whatever table he's sitting at, he has 100% done that. Um, one of the best, one of the best things he invited us to, there was this gathering of post evangelical pastors in October, um, that Scott was, um, a part of, and he introduced us to the guy who was hosting it and actually invited us on stage. And he interviewed us in front of everyone and told everyone about the book of belonging. And through that, we've made some really wonderful connections, um, mm. including our agent who's now, you know, helping us pursue traditional publishing. So Scott's the man. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. He, he was a blast to talk to. Oh yeah. He's really fun. <laughs> um, so now to like, that's your story or like what you're yeah. telling right now, but I guess actually the story behind it is, is you as a person. And mm -hmm. so your journey of faith, um, what has that looked like? Like here, Mike has probably shared, like we talk in the term of construction and reconstruction, deconstruction, all that stuff. But yeah. really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is provide people with a space where they can change out the template, like the template, yeah. like when people deconstruct, they try to use the same template and mm. maybe shift it to a progressive lens and it still gets a little clunky. Mm. And so there's a shift that has to go on in there. Like, does your story line up with that? Do you have that deconstruction moment or did you have a, a, a different upbringing, a healthier upbringing than, than Mike <laughs> and I did? <laughs> I, I too had a very conservative upbringing. My parents, I think the uniqueness of my story is that my parents became Christians when I was five. Um, so I have sort of a before and after memory of mm. us making this conversion. Um, and you know, as a kid, before you can understand nuance to me, it was uh, more of a cultural conversion. It's like, you know, all of a sudden we can't say, Oh my God. And mm. all of a sudden, like we, you know, sort of have created this hierarchy and there's certain people that, you know, we're like a little bit above and there's certain mm -hmm. people that we are competing with for, you know, best family in the church. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, it, so mine, I think, um, it was unique in that I was all of a sudden learning all of these rules right alongside my parents. Um, and it was the nineties. Um, I don't know if you guys follow what's his name, Kevin Thornton, when he says it was the nineties, <laughs> it was the nineties. <laughs> so there was this, um, you know, focus on the family, this whole thread of moralism that was kind of like in the Christian parenting scene at that time, you know, it was like raising kids who follow the rules because, um, God wants them to be obedient type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that color, I think that colors a lot of the work that I'm doing, um, with the book of belonging kind of from, from both directions in that, you know, I was able to experience firsthand, um, the joy and the cosmic grounding that, um, like different spiritual rhythms and resources could offer to a kid. Like you guys are younger than me. So maybe you didn't have this, but like flannel graph did you guys do the flannel graph oh thing? yeah okay oh, so like yeah. flannel graph or vbs or like sword drills did you guys do sword drills oh, oh yeah oh, i was a star okay. i was oh, a star at sword drill. you had it's to hold it by the binding you know? right oh, now yeah. let's go get a bible no. <laughs> no, it's, it is crazy i'm sorry to interrupt but like no, things get. like sword drills i do find 
you know, I'm in a more progressive church now. And there, I've talked to a couple of professors about this that I had in undergrad that there is a loss. What like Mm -hmm. more conservative churches do well is that they know their Bibles, right? Yeah. And more progressive churches typically are really good at like kind of living out some, and I'm I'm not trying to dichotomize in that way. Like these people live it out. These people don't, but I do find there's more complex thinking often. It's more Mm -hmm. normal, but Mm -hmm. like people don't know their Bibles. They don't even know how to like operate the Bibles. Like I'm in a Presbyterian (laughs) church and they're used to like the scripture being read. No one brings a Bible. And so it's like, if we got, if we did a sword drill right now on zoom, (laughs) like it would be like, you know, we'll hear those papers turning, but it is crazy to think about that that cultural shift. It's like, that's, that's embedded in my DNA, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's value there. And I think that for me as a parent, that's, it's so tricky to navigate that. I want my kids to have those, um, like really tangible, um, memories and just like easy, like skills, like when it comes like spiritual skills, like to be able to find a book of the Bible, it's not, it's not a heaven or hell situation, but it's just helpful as a human being Mm. in a spiritual setting to be able to find that. And it's just tough to find that balance of like, how do I give them these, you know, foundational skills for spiritual ease, but also, you know, not err on the side of indoctrination Mm. um, that so many of us are, are, are wary of now that we're becoming parents. Like, how do we introduce our kids to the way of Jesus in the tradition of scripture, um, in a way that's sustainable and that, um, is expansive enough, expansive enough to grow with them as they grow. Um, and I think the values that we, that we're pushing, pushing in the book of belonging, um, like curiosity and wonder, I think that some of those values help with that, but yeah, Mike, as you're saying, like, yeah, I think a lot of the progressive churches are doing curiosity and wonder really, really well. Um, and then some of the more conservative churches, yeah, they're doing the sword drills really well. And they're doing, <laughs> you know, like the scouts and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we've got to find a, a healthy balance as with all things, it's both. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the question, right? Because, uh, I'll never forget my first confirmation class I taught and just, I made an offhand comment. It was like, it's an old Cain and Abel moment. And everyone's like, <laughs> these are 14 year olds. And they're just like, <laughs> I was <laughs> like, wait, what is an old Cain and Abel moment, by we, the way? It was like, <laughs> just one know, of those the, classic, you know, killed your brother over a, uh, well, unfortunately, a bad peace offering. <laughs> there are a number of brothers hating brother stories throughout the Old Testament, Cole. Thank you. And, and <laughs> those kids theme. had that, that same question. They went, I was like, do we know Cain and Abel? And they're like, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought we were doing a lesson on this today. I guess we're going back to early back Genesis, up. you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, th- that's the the tension, I guess, is like like you said, like figuring out how to utilize the strengths of both areas. Yeah. Um, so, so for you, was there like a moment that, I mean, the, the language you used earlier that I really liked is like um, something that you, like your perception of God was more expansive and like God yeah. broke out of how you yeah. kind of were thinking about um, God. Yes. So I'm wondering, was there a moment like th- that was more like, oh, this is, the one pinnacle where it all kind of either fell apart or broke open yes. or was it more gradual? Um, I, mine is one of those like before and after, um, moments. It's a little sad. Um, so I did the whole to continue on. I did, I did the whole Christian high school, Christian college thing, had my ring before spring, married my good Christian guy. 
um, had got pregnant and had a baby. And then we lost, um, our second daughter to a late term miscarriage. Um, which I don't know if that means a lot to you guys, but it, it's, it's, a obviously a grief process, but it's also very, um, physically traumatizing for the mother. Um, and so grief for me was my deconstructive process. Um, it's obviously horrifying and really sad and, um, traumatic, but it was also really, really clarifying, um, grief has this way. I don't know if either of you have lost someone close to you, but, um, it has this way of just kind of burning away anything that's artificial and just kind of everything falls and whatever is, is lasting ends up lasting. Um, mm-hmm. it kind of just shows you, um, it, re- it really reveals, um, what, what is eternal, um, in, in all, in all sense of that word. Um, so my, my relationship with the divine in my grief, not only survived, but it actually, I think that's when it, when I talk about it expanding, I had this expansive healing journey. Um, I attended a grief group for grieving parents and, um, the leader did a, um, a healing meditation for some of the, the moms who had had more, um, physically traumatic experiences. Um, and it was the first time I had really participated in something like that, um, with like heavy visualization and sort of inviting the Holy spirit into, um, this, this present moment and, you know, sort of visualizing healing through that. Um, and for me at the time, that was a little woo woo. (laughs) Um, but, I had a really profound, um, experience with the Holy spirit through that and, you know, continued to practice mindfulness and meditation, um, which I don't know about you guys, but in my, the, the circles that I grew up in, that's kind of a no, no, it it sounds a little Eastern. (laughs) Uh Uh Are you going to do this? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that, um, you know, accessing, having this really beautiful and profound experience with the Holy spirit through this, um, unorthodox, I guess, um, meditative practice, I think for me, was just kind of like the door cracking open to like, maybe God's bigger, maybe God's bigger than I thought. Maybe God's more expansive than I thought. Um, and you know, in my grief, um, I think I was, able to let go of the gift that it gave me was that I was able to let go of a lot of the, the more performative aspects of Christianity. I think especially American Christianity, we have a lot of that. Um, like when you're the, that weirdo who's kind of sobbing in the back row during worship, um, or he, who, you know, has to walk out of the church when the preacher's up there offering these sort of empty platitudes for people, um, who are sad at Christmas time, here's what will make you feel better. Um, Mm when you walk out of those doors, you, you discover this whole community of people who have walked out of other various sanctuaries and doors. Um, and they have this really beautiful and resilient understanding of God that they, they too have had to break out of their boxes. Um, and I found such a community there that, um, it's tough to, it's tough to 
turn back from that once you've experienced it. Hmm. Well, thank first you. and foremost, thank thanks for trusting us with that uh, piece yeah. of your journey. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very deeply personal, and I'm sure you've you've uh, had a a lot of like I said, journeying through that grief um, and carrying that along with the way and processing it in different ways. But it definitely does. <clears throat> I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying because um, this past April, I lost my grandmother who was like mm -hmm. really a rock in, in my life. Aww. And so <clears throat> that, that grief, you're right. It just like, it pulls so much out of you yeah. and tears so much, tears so much away. I don't care about a lot of this stuff that everybody's <laughs> yeah. getting hung up on because like there's so many things in, in your life that like weigh you down um, yeah. and that, that pull you into a different headspace and, and into a different place of trust and trust in the divine. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening and mm. honoring it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that um, it, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis nerd and his uh, mm -hmm. book, A Grief Observed, is one of the most mm -hmm. so good, beautifully difficult things to read, right? But he just talks about like, you know, how grief, it forces you to attend to it. And mm -hmm. the hardest part about dealing with grief when you are a person of faith isn't that you necessarily stop believing that God exists. It's often like that you start to believe such terrible things about God. And I'm yeah. paraphrasing there, but how yeah. could mm -hmm. this, you know, how could God be so bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that becomes like the defining question. And, and I think it, it's, it's kind of timely in one sense, we just, uh, we're going through the Bible in a year as a church right now uh, on Sunday, uh, my pastor preached on lamentations and how we don't really mm. talk about lamentations very much. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah. but just like, this is a part of our faith that so much, um, of, American Christianity, we won't say like conservative evangelical, anything like, but American Western modern Christianity is so focused on it, it's, it's really a, like a weird cousin of prosperity gospel. If you mm. love God, everything will go well. And yeah. it sets up this false narrative in this house of cards. So when things start to not go well, the <clears throat> internalized idea is I must have done something to make God mad. This must yeah. be a test. This must be which leads to some of the worst theological statements and, mm -hmm. and beliefs we can hold about God. Um, when in reality, so much of scripture is just layered with grief and lament yeah. and struggle. Yeah. And, and people like David, who was mm -hmm. far from perfect, but crying out to God, like you promised this, and this is not what's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not usually what we preach. We preach mm -hmm. all those other texts. And so I think for a lot of people, like our journey through whatever terms we want to use, deconstruction, reconstruction, but really just the pilgrimage of faith is, is learning how to hold those things together. Um, because yeah. that's real human experience is having all of those different emotions at the same time. Yeah. And as, as the woman in the room, um, and as someone who's raising a son, um, I think it's really interesting to think about that in light of the understanding that the vast majority of our, our Bible um, resources and, you know, most of what's being preached and most of the leaders in America are, are men and are, are white cis hetero men who, for the most part, um, you guys aren't given 
quite as much access to your quote unquote negative feelings as, as girls being raised are allowed to like when we're, when we're sad, we're allowed to cry when we're angry. Eh, anger's one that we're not really <laughs> quite allowed to have as much access to, but I feel like girls are given more access to the full spectrum of our emotions. Um, and so it is interesting that, um, like you're talking about how the church, we don't do much with lamentations and, and I wonder if that is because most of the people who are, um, steering the rudder are, are men who are like, well, what is sadness? I've never been there. I'm not going to take a whole church there. Um, and I think it's just another reason why it's, it's, I'm just going to dive on it. I think it's more important. It's so important for us to, to have more women in leadership. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> for anyone listening, not watching, which is nobody, and we saw jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so important because it truly, it, this is again, and it's kind of like cyclical in some ways. Why the book of belonging was such a like it just instantly grabbed my eyes because it's one of those things that we say. Um, we make a lot of theological statements that sound good and then don't mm -hmm. actually like embody them. The moment we try yeah. to flesh them out we start to go, whoa, 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 now you're going outside the, you're coloring outside the line. <laughs> yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. like, okay, we say Jesus, you know, is not a white man or God's not a white man or God's not mm -hmm. a man. We're like, all right, God doesn't have a gender. And it's like, mm -hmm. when we start using non-gendered language, it's like, well, we shouldn't do that. And it's like, all right, yeah. well, God, like the church is all ethnicities, all genders, all ages, all this. And we start talking about getting more of that representation in the church and go, well, why are we focusing so much on that? Yeah. <laughs> well, th this is one of those blind spots where it seems like we're hyper-focused on it to you because it's just always been that way for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and I'm talking to myself. Right. And this is yeah. like part of my own faith journey that, yeah. you know, I don't really know the moment I woke up in college when I just started to go, huh, that is kind of how it is, but it is yeah. right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. And when there's not a reflection of that in the congregations we worship in, then we see it in the cultures we end up in. And we mm -hmm. see it in like, everyone likes to think they're the most objective person in the room. Like yeah. all these debates that come out with news stories, like everyone else is a sheep, but I <laughs> am the smart, objective person. I've thought about it all. It's like, yeah. no, we all have our blind spots and we yes. all have to like be humble enough to, to, be a part of the solution moving forward, especially mm -hmm. in the life of the church. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. That's so important. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I wouldn't caveat that with, um, I think it's, you know, I'm saying like, that's why we need more women in leadership. I think it's also why we need to be, um, you know, tackling toxic masculinity to use a trending term, um, in our churches and with our boys in that, like, we can't just, empower women without raising our boys to know that like, yeah, you talked about David, that David, yeah, he was a warrior King and he, you know, took down Goliath and all the stories that we, we teach our sons, but like, he also was a songwriter and like, you know, kind of a hot mess emotionally when you read the Psalms and <laughs> in a good way that, you know, as we're writing actually David for the book of longing, we're trying to figure out how to, how do we, best convey this in a way that feels like a celebration for our boys so that they can see that like, you know, here's David and, you know, on one day he's like pouring out his heart to God and he's grieving and he's so sad and he's angry and, 
God celebrates that with him and God comes and he meets him in that full spectrum emotion. And then the next day he's like dancing naked in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant and his own <laughs> wife is like, that's disgusting. What's wrong with you? Um, and then on the next day, he's having to be this fierce warrior king. And then on the next day, he's being so inclusive with his um, advisory panel. And it's just, um, yes, we have to empower our girls and we also need to be um, showing our boys that like, you can have access to the full spectrum of human emotion. And not only is that given to you by God, but it's celebrated by God. Um, mm. And to me, it's so exciting to think about like if this next generation that we're raising up, like how will the rudder of the church shift with, with men and with more women in power? Yes. But also with men in power who, who have that perspective that like, maybe we won't skip over limitations as often because we'll have these, these tender boys who are like, Oh yeah, I could, I cried yesterday. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's lament. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To me, that's really exciting. And I think a book like, um, like the book of belonging, it models that for children and it models that for families. And we don't like, I mean, this is again, bringing it all back full circle, but we don't have curriculum like that. Yeah. And so if we don't have things like that, we are doing things like sword drills where you get a piece of candy at the end, if you're the best one. And that just reinforces <laughs> yeah. this weird transactional God yeah. thing that happens yes. with how you, how good you are because you know your Bible. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, <laughs> I was telling my, my confirmation students this the other day, I was like, I can't, I can't test you on how good your faith is. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I can't come up with a test. Apparently they did this in the past year. And like, I can't do that. I don't know what yeah. that even means. Like it's something that's deeply meaningful to you and that mm -hmm. you're going to be at a different place in this journey next year. And yeah. so that could be further closer to God, or that could be further, farther away from God, whatever that even means. Mm -hmm. And uh, so having resources like this, where there there's no like, this be mindful, be more mindful. Okay. This is this, you're the best mindfulness person. <laughs> yeah. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. We do like um, superlatives in a yearbook. Like, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but it does still get the, it still like moves us in a different direction. That's, mm -hmm. that's healthier and that's set on different principles. So I yeah, love I mean, it. I hope so. I hope so. That's the idea. <clears throat> yeah. I think, um, I'd be so interested to hear even a little bit of your perspective on um, kind of the, the the process. And we talked about this earlier a little bit, but the process with your partner and choosing the illustrations and how that mm -hmm. works in that uh, I, I work with our teens and some of the conversations we have are about like, okay, um, what do you imagine when you imagine God? Yeah. Like, like, okay, Jesus, and you can, we'll debate, was he white, was he not? But mm -hmm. usually people, like, this is the power of art. And this is one of the reasons we wanted to have someone like Scott on. Yeah. Most people, I think, in the modern day, think of something like the Sistine Chapel, right? It's something mm -hmm. like God is this old, God the Father, um, to use the traditional language, is like this old man with a long white beard, and he's yeah, kind of yeah. jacked, and he's always, you yeah. know. And it's like, it's all right, be. how do you imagine... <clears throat> god looking or is god nebulous and he's like a star you know yeah or uh, and how do you imagine david looking and how do you imagine you know uh, any of these characters looking i think that's such a such a um 
daunting task to consider for something like this, because like I, even my go-to images, like I, I had this toy as a kid and it was like a Robin hood toy. It was the most bizarre toy, but for whatever reason, wait, Fox Robin hood or human. Yes. Yes. Fox Robin. Okay. (laughs) And I have associated that with my perception of Jesus since I was a child (laughs) for the rest of my, I will be on my deathbed thinking about like, that that is in my like if there's a roulette of 10 different images of Jesus I have it'll be there because as a kid I for whatever reason internalized who Robin Hood was in the Disney movie and that's part of my idea of Jesus and so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what the kind of process of choosing some of these images and like the language um, mm-hmm. has been like for you all on that creative side yeah that's a really good question um I wish I had brought Rachel with me because she has such a unique perspective actually you should just interview her next Um, so Rachel would be happy to tell you this. Um, she would consider herself ex evangelical. I don't think Mm. she would identify as Christian at all anymore. She would say she's Christianity adjacent. Um, and I've gotten quite a few DMS about that on my Instagram. Um, she's pretty (laughs) explicit about it in her, in her stuff. You know, people asking like, how can you be so unequally yoked with someone as you're creating a Bible. (laughs) Um, and the answer that I've been giving is first of all, I don't think that being ex evangelical or Christianity adjacent, whatever label you want to put it is any less of a valid spiritual destination or location for her to be in. She's not Mm. less valid because she's not in the same place that I am. I think that that's a really dangerous, um, like distinction to make. But secondly, she's actually like an ideal partner for me. I think for the exact reason you're kind of laying out Mike, that most of us who were either raised in the Christian world or who are, are still in it. We have just through being human beings who have memories and associations we make in our memories, we have an image of God in our head, whether it's from flannel graph or the Prince of Egypt or, um, Robin hood or whatever. Most of us have an image in our head, um, And I think what I love about Rachel is that she has been away from so much of that for so long um, that she's not pushing the image of God she has in her head. And that is so refreshing for me um, that she's kind of coming at it from this, this neutral place. And I feel like if, if what I'm going for is wonder, I feel like it's a lot easier to get to wonder from a neutral place than it is to get to wonder from, you know, a set concrete idea of what something is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been to get into the nitty gritty of it. It has been this really cool collaborative effort to both, um, sh- not show God, if that makes sense. Um, to, to find really creative ways to allude to the presence of God without showing like an old man or <laughs> without showing like a shimmery light. Mm-hmm. Um, so both finding creative ways to show God's presence without, um, like, for example, we just, we've just been working on the story of Esther, which I learned just then is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's name at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shoot, did I make, did I make a mistake, including this story in a children's Bible? <laughs> um, but the way we ended up writing it, I'm actually really proud of it. Um, one of the commentators that I was reading talked about how maybe the significance of Esther and the reason that it's still celebrated today, um, in the Jewish, in the Jewish feast of Purim is that 
there are times in everyone's life where we feel like we, sorry, backing up, Esther was written for the Jewish people when they were in exile um, in Babylon. And mm-hmm. it's a story whether it's to be to be determined whether it was historically accurate or is more of folklore. Um, but it was written to comfort these people. Um, and this commentator was saying, what would be more, what could be more comforting to a people in in exile in a foreign land where they feel like everything familiar to them has been stripped away than a story about a girl living in a palace far from her people. Um, where it feels like, and we've all had that, that moment where we feel like a stranger in our life and it feels like God is missing. But when we go back and we review the day or we review the year, or we review the decade, we get to do this, this hunt for God's presence. And in doing so, that's really where the spiritual work is done. That's where we end up wrestling with God, where we end up having relationship through that seeking Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're still working on the illustrative aspect of it. Um, but we want to find a way to, um, kind of hide. We have yet to determine it. It might be a bird. It might be, um, lady wisdom. We're finding, but basically to hide this little Easter egg throughout the story in different moments of, you know, you see, uh, I don't know how much detail to go into. Um, <laughs> like, so early in the story, you see like the villain of the story, Haman, makes this hateful edict basically that he's going to, there's going to be this genocide of the, of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And then there's this reversal. Cause it's a, this like, well, that's nerdy, but like, it's a chiasm. And so you see the, mm-hmm. how it lines mm-hmm. up, um, Love on and so the reversal, so it's, you know, comes up this way and the reversal of Mordecai's or of Haman's edict is that Esther and Mordecai get to work together on this new edict that sort of over like cancels out that one. Um, and it's this beautiful edict of that brings shalom instead of bringing destruction. Mm-hmm. And you could read that for what it is of like the happy ending, or you could read it for like, they're literally writing shalom into not only the lives of the people living in Persia at the time, but also into the history books. And like, we can see the presence of God there. Um, so we want to find a way, I think it might be a bird that we can hide sort of throughout the illustrations. And then we have a wonder moment at the end of the story of Esther saying like, think back on your day and we're going to use a cup of tea and make this like mindful moment with it, with the steam and stuff. But like, as you look back over your day, we're sort of doing this modified examine practice. Um, Mm -hmm. as you look back over your day, where were there, was there a moment that you really felt like God was with you? And like, most of us, I think would be like, uh, maybe not. But then look back on it with the lens of like, was there a moment where you, where you saw Shalom? Was there a moment where you felt peace? Was there a moment where someone was really gentle to you when they could have been harsh? And like, if we truly believe that every good and perfect thing is from God, then like every moment that we experience goodness and perfection, we're feeling the presence of God, even in, in a story where God is, God's name is not used explicitly. So that was a really long answer to your question, but. (laughs) No, long answers are the best answers. That. <laughs> so that's kind of how we're tackling the whole, do we show God? Do we not? It's a little of everything. That's so cool. <laughs> I, um, I, I'm, I just finished taking ordination exams last week and the Congratulations. Pe- well, we don't know if we passed, so yeah. <laughs> but, then, 
but the Hebrew Maybe. exam was when you say happened. we are you talking about the movie we bought a zoo yeah, right <laughs> oh my gosh it took nine hours of courage to take the exam um, but the Hebrew exam was on Esther 4 and so like oh, I cool. literally I was going through commentaries constantly and oh like, cool so I was like hearing you I'm like yes this is awesome like oh yeah <laughs> So interesting. Okay, well, I highly recommend Rabbi David Foreman's okay. book about Esther is excellent. Nice. So I think maybe the, um, that kind of, and you don't have to go all into this, but oh, okay. I think maybe for some people listening, they're like, oh, yeah, so are you just like reading the Bible and like drawing pictures and like simplifying <laughs> it? Awesome. It sounds like <laughs> in some ways, like you, you're spending a lot of time like doing the research like and even yeah. when we talked before getting on the podcast you're like yeah i'm researching a couple other things like i wish mm -hmm. i had more time to jump into yeah. the podcast it's like yeah. you know it just takes time to to really do your due diligence um yeah um i, I think it was i'm trying to think what theologian it was but they were basically saying if you can't explain your theology to a six-year-old then you don't have a very robust theology because yeah. what good does it do us if it's just this lofty you know it kind of gate-kept idea Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't negate all of the work it takes to be able to simplify it for a child yeah. but that's why it's so important to do that work on the front end so that yeah the, the end results are worthwhile I guess so it's cool to hear that you're kind of at least doing that for Esther I assume for other things but yeah um, that it's not easy to sift through all that and to learn all the technical jargon and whatnot like it's not so I took a, a children's literature class in college and I remember I joined because someone told me like oh, it's the best, this children's library hosts it. And, you know, she just reads children's books to you and she brings a bucket of candy and you literally just eat candy and listen to kids books. And I was like, <laughs> sign me up. But I took this class and she basically like broke it down and explained how children's literature is the most difficult genre to write. Um, she said at the time that she thought it was because um, children simply will not read a book that doesn't um, involve hope. Like they're just uninterested in a story that doesn't end in hope. Um, and I think at the time, maybe I thought that was really trite. And now I think that that's really, really beautiful and resonant. Um, and I think I would add my two cents that, yeah, I think um, I, I think I would have thought that children's literature, writing a children's Bible would be sort of minor leagues in the same way that I think a lot of people probably, you, you know, you guys aren't allowed to be called pastors because you're just working with kids, but that's <laughs> right. somehow like, um, like, ministry light mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i actually i would argue just the opposite kind of exactly what you're saying mike that um in order to distill something to distill the biblical canon i have to know it you know front back and in my sleep in order to distill it to what we actually believe it means and like it could be argued that it could mean a, a many different things and that we're just turning the gem and this is just the facet that i'm examining but mm -hmm in order to do that. Yeah. I mean, I've had to research like crazy and, and some of that is, is, is me maybe over addressing my inner and outer critics. Um, when you're a woman and a woman of color in a space that's predominantly Christian, um, I, I recognize that I'm going to have a lot more scrutiny on me and I want to mm. be able to back up what I'm doing and be able to have it, have it hold up under that scrutiny. Um, but it's also just like, I'm a huge nerd and I love learning this stuff. If I had more time and more money, I would be, I'd be in <laughs> seminary probably. Yeah. Same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
well, thank you so much for your time. We want to be mindful of it. Oh, and yeah. and uh, so we have like four or so questions that we kind of wrap up every podcast with. Sure. And so they can be rapid fire. They can be long form. We just okay. know that we're close to an hour and it's you get to decide how long you want to be here. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, the first one we have for you is in in like 20 years, what do you think or hope uh, Christianity, faith, whatever you want to use will look like? Uh, what do you think yeah. will be like trending and how can we now like aim to shape that? I love this question. I've been thinking about it all day. Um, it, it both grieves me and excites me to think, um, I think we're, we're moving towards a split. Mm. And I think that a lot of us are feeling the rumblings of that. Um, and I think that can feel really scary, but you know, when we look at, you know, the, the Christianity that we know today is like the tiniest twig on this massive tree. So it, mm. it's not unprecedented that the church ends up splitting, but yeah, I mean, if I have to be frank, I think that white nationalism is going to head in one direction and then and not to dichotomize it as mike said earlier but mm -hmm. i think another major twig that will head in the other direction is um more wondrous contemplative practices um i think that when people de deconstruct in in my circles from what i've seen a lot of people kind of you know walk away and they're kind of, they're kind of done with it. But I think a lot of us, um, stay, but like with an asterisk on it. And I think that that asterisk is going to end up being more mainstream than a lot of people are anticipating. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it, but I like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. The asterisk to stick mm -hmm. around. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. So much of this is what we've already been talking about, but like, what do you think the church needs most right now? Um, I guess in the context of what you just said, if there's a scenario where we could stop another twig split and there's been mm -hmm. plenty of major ones throughout church history, like what does the church yeah. need now in, from your vantage point? Um, I think there's something we can, we can try and prevent. And I think there's something that we can pursue. I think that, um, so in a, in a different lifetime, 10, 15 years ago, I worked in um, academic publishing and I worked on, um, philosophy and religion textbooks, which is just as boring and fascinating <laughs> as it sounds. It was like right. yeah. high highs, low lows. Um, Perfect. but one thing that was sort of in, you know, this was like 2011, 2012 that kept coming up, um, in the academic publishing world is they were telling us like kids that are coming into high school and college and using our textbooks don't have any critical thinking skills. This was like the huge buzz in the publishing yeah. community. It was like, so I guess you guys actually, uh, you guys <laughs> yeah. didn't have any public, we don't. You didn't <laughs> have any critical thinking skills um, that they would do these, you know, they would do these studies and, you know, have these kids read an essay and these kids didn't have the ability to separate themselves from the opinion of the author of the essay and to say, well, this is what this guy thinks. And here's an opin opinion that I have formed over here. And here's how it's alike. And here's how it's different. And here's that's how that's okay. Mm. Um, for whatever reason, that's fading out, I guess. And I think that we, we're seeing the, um, the repercussions of that in our culture. Um, Brene Brown, who I adore, um, talks a lot how, about how people in our culture end up in these ideological bunkers where you're like, well, I align with this. And you're like over there in the ground, not coming out. And then you're like, 
and you align with that. So I obviously can't have anything in common with you. Um, and I think that that's, that's hurting the church, not only because, um, it's, it's creating a lot of disunity, but I think also, um, I think we've lost the ability to have conversation and relationship with people who are different from us, um, and who think differently and to do that, not in a way that, um, you know, not in a toxic positivity type way where it's like, we all get along and we'll just ignore everything that's different and we'll just gloss over it. Um, and not in a way that's just so combative, but, um, this, you know, it's really, really hard to love your neighbor. And that's why, like, that's one of the only things Jesus told us to do is to just, because it, I think it takes a lifetime of honing that skill. Um, so that I think that if we can prevent, um, the, the separation into ideological bunkers and the, this, this inability to, um, to discuss, um, from our bunkers, I think that's a skill that I'm hoping to raise my kids with. Um, and I think that that is more than lip service. I think we need to have relationships with people who are radically different from us and for our kids to see that, like, I hope I do. And I hope to continue to have, you know, people over my house all the time who are so different from me and think so differently from me and who are often really vocal about those differences. And, you know, I hope my kids see me, um, entertaining that with grace. Um, and it's tricky to navigate. I'm still not perfect at it, but I want mm. them to see the humanity in that and to see, um, that that's, that's kind of our, one of our only jobs. Hmm. And I think yeah. that if we can give them something so we can prevent that. And if we can sort of pursue contemplation and wonder, I know, I know I've said that a couple of times in this podcast, but I think that's what our kids need. I mean, it's always yeah. good when your thoughts are always coming back to like a firm kind of starting point. So I don't think <laughs> I've got only con- one message. Hey, contemplation <laughs> and wonder. That's what you need. For sure. And I like how you said it. It's, it is like bunkers and mm. in the bunkers it's safe and you don't have to like, you don't have to know your neighbor and you don't have to like, and if you have like a bunker mentality, it's usually like in war uh, language and terms and things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, We can do something different. And like you said, it, that means providing, providing a different way for our kids. Um, But, but staying in those bunkers isn't safe. Um, It's actually harmful. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, like some of the language, even we use tonight, like as we talk can sound like we are in our bunker, right? Like it's yeah, those bad sure. guys over there. And like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's always like, you know, we start to air some of this stuff out and that's what it becomes. And that that's the worst version I think mm. of, you know, not that that's what our intentions were tonight, but that's how it's received. It's like, Oh, it's just an attack at all times. Like, no, like, yeah. there are a lot of people with an asterisk next to their perception of God that feel like they were kicked out the doors of the church and had nowhere to go. And so now we've found places where we can find these kind of little huddles of community together. We're trying Mm -hmm. to figure it out how, how to bridge these things back together without creating false bridges too. I think sometimes there's like such a, um, an attempt to make everyone the same like, no, yeah. we're all on the same team. It's like, no, we need to honor these differences and, yeah. and be real about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that'll take a sharp tone, but also some that that's the only way that we can really know ourselves. And I think 
for a lot of people with the asterisk next to whatever their faith is now, Mm -hmm. they felt like they had to hide what they really felt and believed so long. Yeah. Now they need a place where they can express it. And that's, Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the challenge, right. But I I like that language you used to entertain that with grace, right. And entertain those interactions with grace is so, so difficult, right? Oh yeah. It's so important. Oh my goodness. So another reason why Mike and I have started this podcast is we found like a lot of people who are in these, in this world, the deconstruction world, like Mm. when you're trying to put it back together, finding voices, it can be really hard to listen to Mm -hmm. um, or can be really hard to find that you want to listen to in those moments. And so if you had to share some people in your life who uh, shape your faith, who you pay attention to, who, who speak to you in a, in a really, um, helpful way, who would those people be for you? Yeah. Um, so I'm obviously doing lots and lots of research these days. So on like, you know, the nerdier research end, um, Dr. Will Gaffney has been really, really amazing. Um, so she's, she, um, is a Hebrew scholar and she researches and midrashes the Bible from, um, a womanist perspective. Um, and she has, I mean, she has a lot of resources online, lots of videos, um, talking about her research and a lot of her books, um, that I now own are really, really, um, rich and unique takes on the stories in the Bible that, um, I mean, completely unique to her. So, Hmm. um, Wilda Gaffney, um, I'm really into the Bema pod, Bema podcast. I don't know if it's Bema or Bema. Um, it's this podcast that kind of goes through, maybe you guys have already talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going through the Bible from more of an Eastern perspective. There's a, um, um, mm. a Jewish Bible scholar um, who sort of gives, um, so it kind of goes line by line through the Hebrew Bible, um, just giving the perspective from a more Western mindset, um, which I think is really helpful to people who are deconstructing. Because a lot of us, you know, we talk about bunker mentality. I think the reason that sometimes that happens is this Eastern understanding of truth. This is an example he gives. Like when we say truth in an Eastern or a Western mindset, like all of us in America have a Western mindset. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we hear truth, we think like true or false, right? It's one category or the other. Um, If you were to ask someone with a more Eastern mindset, um, like a Jewish person living in, in Jerusalem, Um, they would perhaps view it as more of, um, like a linear concept that like truth is evolving. Um, Mm. and you know, that even just that slight change as you're studying scripture, I think can be this really forgiving and gentle welcome that a lot of us who are processing and deconstructing, um, is it's a soft place to land, I think for a lot of people. So that podcast is B E M A BEMA podcast. And then, um, I saw that you had PNs on the podcast earlier this season and his books, I think are, are awesome. Um, they're really easy to read and he just does a really good job. Um, he was, a uh, uh, one of our professors yeah. in undergrad and an, he's awesome. really snarky. So I'm going to text someone and say, yeah, someone yeah. said your books are really easy to read. So <laughs> maybe, you know, I'm harder. also seeing him for lunch tomorrow. So I'll, uh, I'll let him know that I'm a children's book author and that I think his books are easy to read. I read them to my six year old. I'm, I'm kind of modeling yes. the Bible after his books. I love it. <laughs> this is so great. That is great. Making some enemies. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, no, and he so, will yeah, just I, laugh. <laughs> I love his, I love his books. I love his perspective. Um, and yeah, I mean, even the snarkiness, I think is a big part of it that, um, uh, Stephen Colbert had this long monologue the other night about, um, how important it is to, to laugh about, um, our faith basically, um, and how he, like his faith plays a part in his comedy, um, for that reason. And I think that Pete does a really good job of that, but like, if we can't laugh about it and not take ourselves too seriously, like it's just going to be a long, long trudging journey. (laughs) Seriously. Well, um, final question. Um, someone's listening to this podcast right now and they are struggling with their faith and they're maybe they don't even have an asterisk right now. Maybe they just don't know how to associate, um, with this faith now. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone struggling in in light of that, um, with the feelings of isolation or shame or anything Mm -hmm. to that effect? I think I would say to just be so kind and gentle to yourself in this process. Um, Deconstruction reminds me a lot of adolescence. I guess you guys can speak to this as youth, youth <laughs> at, not pastors, uh, <laughs> leaders, directors, directors. directors. <laughs> so, sorry, <laughs> um, directors <laughs> that um, I think we all remember, you know, being teenagers and, you know, having this moment where we have to leave our childhood behind um, and we're kind of supposed to be stepping into this person who we really are. And there's a lot of excitement there and freedom there, but it's also really scary um, and uncertain. And we all had that adult in our life who was like, oh my God, you're so dramatic. Like, <laughs> right, right. Calm down. It's just adolescence. <laughs> like, why are you being so moody? Um, and then I, if we were lucky, we had a, an adult in our life who was kind and gentle to us and who said you know what you're headed towards is something really exciting and really beautiful and like you can do it and like you've got a purpose like what you're headed towards is awesome um and I think that we we have the choice in this in this deconstruction process of like how we speak to ourselves and we can either be that adult who's like oh my gosh you're so dramatic and I think that's the message that a lot of deconstructing people are getting from people in leadership unfortunately it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. but we have the choice we get to choose how we talk to ourselves and I think to be so kind and gentle to yourself and you know even to go as far as to speak out loud to yourself like you're headed somewhere really beautiful um you have a purpose and this is a part of it um and that you carry God with you I think that's important to remember that um, places that I can affirm this as a, a former editor of religious textbooks, that if you're in a a place of quote unquote faith, that says that your access to the divine is contingent on a place or one specific person, then you're in a cult that's called a cult. Mm. And that the reality of your situation is that you carry God with you. Um, so whether you choose to leave that place, whether you choose to stay, wherever your journey takes you, be so kind kind and gentle to yourself and remember that you carry God with you. I don't want to say anything after that. I think we just, <laughs> boom, <laughs> yeah, boom. don't drop the mic though. It's, expensive, you know? <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for this having is me. so wonderful. Where yeah, this like, is great. We've said uh, the book of belonging like 17 times minimum. Where can belonging, people yeah. Keep up with what you're working on and hear about the book of belonging and all that. So the book of belonging, I feel like I should say this on here, um, is, is we're taking 
we're taking a wait list. It's no longer for sale because it was a Kickstarter campaign. Um, but if you want to join the wait list, if you're interested, you can follow me on socials. Um, my handle's Mariko Clark. Um, or you can just go to www.thebookofbelonging.com and you can, you know, watch our video, you can download um, a free chapter and you can just kind of learn all the things and you can sign up for the wait list there too as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to uh, the launch of this, uh, this new resource. Oh, thanks guys. Thanks for chatting. Take care.